co-parenting is like honestly the shit. <laughs> and I also like I sometimes I feel like a monster saying that to people who are still parenting together because like there's plenty of benefits of parenting together also. And I miss my kid when he's not here. But I also have this like ability now to balance my own life where like when I'm parenting, I am like really parenting my ass off and I'm very present because on the days of the week that I don't have him, I have my own life. I'm getting my work done. I'm getting the things done that I need to do. And I don't have to juggle this thing where I'm like trying to spend time with him while I'm like paying bills, answering emails and like working out, you know, like I can get all that stuff done in a compartmentalized way. Um, and I think that just makes me a better parent. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Well, welcome to episode 253. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Yana. Well, I have an interview with Yana. Yeah, I had <laughs> just a quick disclaimer. I had COVID during this interview, and I was not at the top of my game. So Finn carried this interview quite a bit. Wow. That's part of being a teammate. <laughs> exactly. No, there's nothing wrong with it. Just a heads up. If you don't hear me talking very much, that is why. Anyway, Yana is amazing. She's a sex educator, writer, therapist, and she has a new book that just launched called Hot and Unbothered. Yeah, definitely check that out. Links are in the show notes as well as links to her website so you can learn more about her. And there are photos in the show notes as well. Yeah, Yana's a super badass, and we're super excited to have this conversation get out there. We actually recorded this like three months ago, and so thank you, Yana, for waiting. Um, we appreciate it. Thanks for your patience, and yeah, we're super pumped. So for anybody who is a premium subscriber, we are going to jump right into the interview like right now. And for the rest of you, well, you're not premium subscribers, so we're going to talk to you about a few community announcements. First off, if you're curious what a premium subscriber is, just a quick heads up. If you're interested in skipping over these community announcements and potential advertisements, then you can join our premium subscription for as low as $2 a year. Uh, but the price is whatever you'd like to make it. Um, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, or click on your podcast player to find out more information. Yep, there are links in the podcast show notes and in your podcast player to take you directly there. And we appreciate your future support. Yes. So back to the community announcements. First up, we have an upcoming virtual meet and greet on September 27th. That's in a couple of weeks, obviously. We would love to have you join us. The virtual meet and greets are open to anyone. You just have to be open-minded and respectful. You can sign up on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and we would love to have you join us. Yeah, we actually had one. Well, we do these every month, and last month, we had almost 50 people join us. It was so awesome and they keep growing and we have a blast with these. So thank you to everybody who joined us in July. Nope, August. August. Forgot which month last month was. <laughs> thank you to everybody who joined us. We had a great time and we can't wait to see you all again in a couple of weeks. And if you're looking for more ongoing community, you can also check out our Patreon community. It is growing every single day. We're so thankful for all of you amazing people that are already patrons and we're excited to continue growing. So we have an ongoing Mimi chat, which is a group chat. We have a monthly Q&A. We have men's groups, women's groups. We would love to have you check it out. And so go to our website too, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the Patreon button to find all of the information. You know what else we have? What? We have people all over the country who are spontaneously meeting up with one another because they met each other through the Patreon community. Yep. And then they post photos of themselves doing awesome stuff. And it's amazing. Yep. That's very true. So go check it out. More incentive. You know what else you get? What? You get the premium subscription included. In your Patreon membership. Yeah. That is also included. So I'm just thinking there's a lot there. <laughs> and really, it's it's such a no-brainer. That's very true. Did we convince you yet? I think I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The other things that we wanted to tell you about. 
one of our favorite sponsors, our affiliate partner, STD Check. This is the service that Emma and I use and have used for years and years to get tested for STIs. It is super fast, it is super easy. And if you're out there meeting awesome people, well, first of all, we highly encourage you to get tested, know your status so you can share that and have wonderful sex positive uh, forward conversations about your sexual health. But using the links in the show notes supports the show and supports us financially, which we hugely appreciate, but you get a discount as well. You save $10, bringing the cost of a 10-panel test down to $129. It is super fast. It is super easy. Again, this is what Emma and I do when we get tested. We love it. We wouldn't tell you about it otherwise. And so go check it out. Links are in the podcast player show notes as well or on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Using those links saves you $10 and helps put dinner on the table. So thank you. <laughs> While you're over on our website, you can also order your very own Normalizing Non-Monogamy shirt. These shirts say give love with our logo on them, and that is it. They're super cool, they're soft, and we would love for you to join us in having the super cool shirt. So go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and order yours now. The dream is that one day we're walking down the street and we just see and we see other we tons see other and tons give, of shirts. yeah and we're like our people yes and they're like hey you're our people and we're like hey we made that shirt <laughs> that's my dream so help me make that dream a reality <laughs> <laughs> so go go check out check out the shirts please and the last thing you can do on our website reach out to us say hello leave us an, a voicemail you can send us a voicemail you can send us an email we respond to them all and we would love 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 to hear from you so Thank you in advance for that. And let's go talk to Yana. Let's go. Welcome <laughs> to the podcast, Yana. We're excited to have you here. Uh, we're excited to talk and get to know you better. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Do you mind introducing yourself for us and for the listeners so we can get a little bit of background on who Yana is? And then we'll dive into like relationships and all the good juicy stuff. Yeah. So my name is Yana Talon Hicks. I use she, her pronouns. I am a sex educator and sex writer. I am also a sex therapist. I work primarily with non-monogamous, kinky, and queer clients. And um, what else do you want to know? Well, if if those are your your clients, that's my professional. Duty. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> and and assuming that you work with people in the non-monogamy sphere. And you're on a podcast where we talk about non-monogamy. What is your, maybe what is your relationship style sort of look like today? Um, I don't, I was thinking about this today when I was walking my dog, getting ready to meet with you. And I was like, I don't even know how to explain myself at this point. I guess solo polyamorous would be the phrase, but I don't have like a distinct label. I kind of like move in and out of things yeah yeah right so well what does it look like in a like practical sense like what does your orbit look like you're the you're the sun what's orbiting around you (laughs) i am the sun thank you for acknowledging (laughs) (laughs) i mean really the sun is my actual son who is three um and so right now i feel like my main relationship that i am concerned with maintaining is with him I co-parent with his dad and we started co-parenting rather than cohabitating about a year ago. So that's been a change. Um, Before that, I had been kind of in and out of non-monogamous structures for like 10 or 15 years. Um, How successful those structures went, you know, varies. When I was in my 20s, it looked a lot different than now. I'm in my 30s. And so currently... I have some people I'm dating, which is a um, contentious phrase because some of those people really prefer other terms. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I have a couple I've been seeing for about five years. I just wrote a piece for The Cut about them and um, our experience kind of parenting different nuclear families during the pandemic. Um, I have a girlfriend and I have some other people that I've been seeing. And I also have a co-parent who 
we're not romantically involved anymore, but you know, that is an important intimate relationship and somebody that I need to kind of like, um, take into account with my life decisions. Yeah, for sure. And that co-parent is the parent of your son, correct? He is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. Well, thank you for that. And Mm -hmm. appreciate that. What, I mean, going back in time, where did non-monogamy first like pop up for you in your life and in your, your journey? Yeah. It sounds like it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because the reason why I'm like hesitant about the terms, I don't know. It's really interesting because I work with non-monogamous clients all the time. So I'm really comfortable with terms. I like help clients decide what their terminology is all the time. And when it comes to myself, I feel like very sort of like weaselly about it. Like I never want to like, I don't know, maybe it's because I don't know how much you know about astrology. Maybe it's because I'm an Aquarius and I don't want to be pinned down. Like I'm just sort of like, I can't identify one way or the other. No, I think it's super common though. Like we, we talk to a lot of people who they're like, they don't, the labels never really fit. And well, because so, they don't feel like they fit into that box. Yeah. But, but yeah. unfortunately, like sometimes you need a label to like describe <laughs> something, but yeah. it's a hard balance to, to kind of figure out. Yeah. I also like, I think that some people identify as being non-monogamous or more commonly polyamorous as sort of like an identity label like it's part of their sexuality and relationship mm-hmm. like it's who they are mm-hmm. i f- have often related to non-monogamy as like a relationship style so like sometimes i am in a monogamous relationship and sometimes i'm not sometimes that's the same relationship yeah. and it kind of depends on what's going on and you know the pandemic was a real doozy with that sort of like how do you figure that out when like historically being non-monogamous involves a lot of germ swapping for mm-hmm. me <laughs> people right. around me and you know we have little babies to protect like my kid was five months old when the pandemic hit so i don't know it feels complicated yeah mm-hmm. well and so it sounds like maybe mm-hmm. for you right now non-monogamy is a thing you do not a thing you are like it's not an identity yes. yeah but I do, I have had like identity related crises. <laughs> They're not crises, but like, I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I had, so I, I'm not going to name who it was, but I like went and sought out the top dog non-monogamy coach because I was like, I feel like a little bit of a top dog non-monogamy coach in my social sphere. So I need to go find the like big guy girl, really woman. Um, and I talked to her because I was like, I just feel, I'm like, what is like, I, I think part of this too is like being a therapist and studying psychology. I'm always thinking about my attachment style, my relationship history, the contexts that are going on around me. And I'm like, what is my drive to be non-monogamous? And I'm always thinking about it. I'm like, is this coming from a healthy place? Am I being avoidant and escaping something? Am I fearing intimacy or am I like really leaning into intimacy? (laughs) I just feel like the sides of that coin with non-monogamy feel so close together and like so easy to flip. Yeah. And so I'm always sort of like, what's the deal? So I talked to this coach because I was like, am I non-monogamous or am I just like, I don't, something else. Like, am I just like fucked up? (laughs) (laughs) Like, What's up? And she was like, no, I think you are. I, and she was like, I think you're just have like the element that I question a lot is my trust in myself and my trust in the people around me. Mm -hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with attachment. Sure. And less to do with the relationship style. Yeah. Does any of that make sense? It does. And I think <laughs> I was I was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine who who does coaching as well. And we were talking about their their kids and raising kids and attachment styles. And, and we kept coming back to like 
Man, wasn't ignorance bliss? Like before you knew, before you read Polysecure and you knew how like fucked up you were going to make your kids. And it's like, do you, do you want to fuck them up this way by being like too attached? Or do you want to like make them be independent and then like fuck them up that way? And so it was like you, you kind of like, it's, it's almost impossible to strike the perfect balance where you're not going to cause some type of, let's say, attachment trauma or some mm-hmm. type of wound that has to be like worked through it and in later life. So I don't know. That was where I was going when you're talking about this. Like we're just we're all over here, like overanalyzing our situations because we almost know too much now. And there's there's a lot to that. So I appreciate. the Yeah. Honesty. Well, and I think as a therapist, I use attachment styles in my work with sure. clients a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm also like, listen, like attachment, it's kind like not to like, you know, anger the mental health scientists around us, but it is like a little bit like astrology or like a tarot reading. Like I understand that attachment has a lot of science behind it and mm-hmm. also talking about it and thinking about it is really just a way for you to think about your own life and yourself and why you're making choices that you're making. And like, are you acting within your own values? And when I like read my horoscope, I'm not like, oh, my horoscope told me to like sell my house. So I'm going to go do that now. Like, that's not like (laughs) whatever, but it is giving me time and space and information to just like think about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's healthier to think about attachment in a little bit more of a detached way of like, I think people get really hung up on like, this is my attachment style and therefore blah, 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 blah. When in reality, we probably slide around a spectrum of attachment depending on who we are relating to. And it's important information to have, but it's not like a box to like put yourself in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and so like backing up again, like where did or when did non-monogamy enter the like, spectrum for you in terms of how you were relating to other people in your Mm. life? Yeah. Was it something that was modeled for you growing up? Um, no, I guess. So when I was in college, uh, it must've been college. Um, I went to San Francisco for a year to work with the center for sex and culture And I ended up staying there after I graduated because I fell in love. And also that city is great. (laughs) Um, And if you're going to live there, you should do it in your twenties when you were like willing to work your ass off to live in like a studio with like three other people. (laughs) Um, But I worked at Good Vibrations, the feminist sex toy shop in the mission. And part of our training there was to read books from every section of the store's library. Mm -hmm. And so opening up had just come out. Petrus and Terramino. Um, and I read it and I was like, oh shit, this is cool. Like I had always like, I, in my teens, I had met people that were like interested in non-monogamy, but like the way it was being presented to me was sort of like haphazard and like, kind of like sketchy, you know, it was like, oh, like, oh, I slept with this other person, but it's like, we're not monogamous. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that kind of sucks. (laughs) And like this book was a little bit more like, here's like some more structured ways of thinking about this. And here's a bunch of stories about people that like also do this and why they do it. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. So I kind of like adopted that philosophy, like that philosophy clicked to me and I was interested in that. And I was also, um, cross country long distance with my partner at the time. And so logistically it made a lot of sense Mm -hmm. to do that. I will say that my early days non-monogamy was like not ethical. It like definitely was just like an excuse to do what I wanted and be like, but it's non-monogamy. But I think that's also partially like being 20 and like self-centered. So what did that, what did that look like? Like, did you have the conversation with that partner and say like, Hey, I just read this book opening up and here's a thing. And we'd like to do it. Like, how did, how did you, make that sort of presentation and shift into it with them? I don't remember really. I don't think there was like, you know, I see clients a lot where they're couple, they're like longstanding monogamous couples. And then one person is like, I want an open relationship. And then we like move through that transition and what that means. And, you know, people have to make their decisions about if they want to do that or not. And 
at the time, like I was just like young and in love and like, it didn't, I don't know. It didn't feel as like heavy. Like I think we were like in San Francisco in our prime living our lives, going out all the time. Like we kind of had this like blanket rule that like making out with people was like not a big deal. I don't know. I feel like I was a lot more like pure (laughs) and like unjaded. And so like my suspicions of other people were just so much lower. And I think my attachments were a lot higher. Like, I think I was just like, or my secure attachments to myself felt higher. Like I hadn't really had like giant heartbreaks or like life changing separations. I had just been like, it's cool, man. Like I trust you. Like, so sort of yeah. this like free love, not, not to go down yeah. like the hippy dippy <laughs> route, but like the free love. Hey, you do you, I'll do me. We know we're both going to be like, we're, we're yeah, here. Like, we're good. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how, and how did it actually play out? Like, did it, did it go well? Um, <laughs> Depends on who you ask, I guess. There's a lot of players <laughs> in the story. Um, no, I mean, like, in my 20s, I certainly hurt some people. And I feel like me and that those people have worked through that. Um, and then, yeah, I don't want to get too much into it because these people are still in my zone. And sure. other people know them quite well. Um, but you know, some shit went down as like early non-monogamous days do. And I got pretty like trashed by it. And so I feel like that was kind of the first time. And again, like, I'm not saying like, I'm innocent. Everyone else was mean to me. I'm just saying like, part of my experience was that it was like really intense and hard. And so I think that was like the first time that I was like, Oh, like, this isn't just about me being at home, like journaling about my jealousy. This is also about who am I choosing to trust and why? And I think that this thread of like, how trusting am I in my relationships and how secure do I feel? And also how secure do I feel in myself has become more of my guiding force Mm-hmm. rather than what does this look like on paper? Right. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And and so what were some of the like tangible, like, I don't know, lessons or things you took away from these like early day experiences that you, you've kind of moved forward. And like you said, like it was pretty intense and like, yeah, you don't have to go into all the details, but like, what were some of the, like the lessons you walked away from these early experiences with and like growth opportunities for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like in some of my earlier non-monogamous relationships, we did a lot of like writing down of rules. Mm-hmm. You know, we were like, here's the five page relationship contract. And we're definitely going to refer to this when we're like arguing because like you said, you were going to do this thing on paper. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of this, again, like I can chalk it up to like just being much younger and not knowing myself and not knowing how to relate to people in the same way that I do now. But I think like that to me, when I see my clients doing that, I'm like, okay, that's an indicator that there's like this core level of trust that is not available to you to understand that. Like, I think what is healthier or more effective are sort of these broader stroke agreements where it's like, are you going to hold the lantern for our relationship when I'm not there? Do I trust you to do that? And if so, then like the rest of what we're talking about is going to be, how do we communicate about this? And when, how do I help myself feel secure? How can you help me feel secure? Like those kind of like bigger relational dynamics, I think are much more important than like how many dates per week are you committing to? And like, are you going to take take her to the same ice cream place that I like? Which I feel like was the stuff I was hung up on when I was younger and I wasn't connecting it to like what that meant for me emotionally. Yeah. Right. Like the underlying emotion, like the jealousy or just insecure, like what the actual insecurity was itself. Right. Why don't I feel secure with this person? Or like, why am I not feeling secure with myself rather than like, don't let her pet my dog. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, so just to follow up really quick on the, something you said about like holding the lantern for the relationship, 
Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like my interpretation of that was like, hey, we we don't need this book of agreement for you to like refer to. Like if you're in a situation and something comes up, you don't you shouldn't need a book to flip back and be like, oh, OK, I'm not supposed to do this. Rather like, hey, I we've had conversations around the same page. I don't need like a police officer watching me to make sure that I'm doing these things. And I think that's sort of like the one, the, when the cat's away, the mice will play kind of thought like, Hey, if you're not here to catch me, like I can take my partner to the same ice cream place you love or to your favorite sushi restaurant, because you'll never know versus like, Hey, we're doing this just to, to honor our relationship, whether or not I know you'll ever find out or not. Totally. Yeah. And I think that like, I feel like most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, especially if you're talking about non-monogamy in a sense of like this dyadic relationship with other partners on the, like outside of that dyadic relationship, I think most of the time that dyad knows each other enough to know on some level when they're doing something sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, and it's like, what is the, like, is the point of your agreement to like get away with something or Mm -hmm. make sure someone's not doing something that you, you know, like is the, is your agreement coming from a place that's like just inherently distrustful of that person? That's an issue. And you can work on that issue, but I don't think that issue is going to be solved by like writing it down on a piece of paper And I also think like, I've talked about this a bit on my social media recently, which is like, how can you make agreements that you can actually keep? Like if you cannot keep the agreement, don't go to this ice cream place. Don't make it like talk about why it's important for you to be able to go to that ice cream place or why this person feels so possessive of that ice cream place to begin with. Like talk about what's going on underneath it. Don't just like slap a weird rule bandaid on it and carry on and like, well, because like then you're said. not going to, if you're not going to honor it, then what's the point? <laughs> then what's the point? And also, even if you are going to honor it, but it takes some sort of like, like you just really don't, you can't get on board with it. Like if right. you're like, I just don't understand this. Why can't well, I just go to this thing? Like, yeah, it's just not gonna. Yeah. If it's going to, it's going to breed resentment, right? Like yeah. if every time you're like, well, I want to go get ice cream, but I can't. And then you're yeah, going right. like, to get all pissed off about it and then hold it up like, yeah, so then don't make that agreement, right? Right. And you risk kind of like triangulating your partners against each other where you're like, oh, this ice cream place is like right next to the movie we just went to. But Emma told us I can't. So, yeah, yep. boo. you know, like it just becomes sort of this like rather than this idea of holding the lantern for the relationship is like, how do you talk about and treat your relationship as if the other person was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that makes for healthier dynamics across the board. Yeah. And I think, you know, even if, and just to kind of like tie a little bow on that one, like even if that is the agreement Emma and I made, I, I I hesitate to give advice, but I think a better approach to that wouldn't be, well, I want to take you there, but Emma says I can't versus like, Hey, that's sort of a place that's special between Emma and me. So like if we, I'd love to get ice cream with you, but I'd like to take you somewhere else because that place is a place I like to go with her. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, I'm not then like hanging the, Emma out yeah, to dry. Like, like well, I wanted to, but Emma won't let me yeah. like kind of thing. And that's the triangulation. Avoiding the blame. Yeah. 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 And I think that when you do like hold that lantern for your core relationship in that way, you are sending a message to your other partners that you are respectful of your dynamic and you are respectful of like the partnership between the two of you as well. Like if someone is like shit talking their partner to me, I don't feel comfortable and safe in that dynamic. I want to know that they are solid and good and treat their people well. Yep. No, exactly. Exactly. Well, and, and so maybe that takes us to the next phase. Let's call it phase two of Yana's non-monogamous journey. What did, what did that look like coming, coming out of the, the early 20s, your first go at it, a long distance mm-hmm. sort of pseudo ethical approach? Where did, where did the journey take you from there? Um, first of all, pseudo-ethical is very generous of you. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I sort of like, I went through some time where, let me think about the order of events here. 
I think after that, I was kind of pursuing a lot of like, I have a core relationship and we're like sleeping with or dating other people either on our own or together as a couple. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely went through a stretch of time where there was like a lot of like triad dynamics going on, which was like fun and cool and interesting and felt like a bonding experience on one hand. And on the other hand, sometimes felt just like complicated and hard and, I don't know. I feel like my questions to myself during that period of time was like, what draws me to this? What am I getting out of it? Like that type of feeling. And yeah, I feel like I kind of continued on that path for a while. And then I got pregnant by surprise. I mean, I can't say it's an accident because I do know how sex works, (laughs) which is why I tell people about that. Um, (laughs) But I was surprised and, but I had really wanted a baby for a long time. And my co-parent was also like down to parent. And so we decided, even though it was very early in us meeting each other, we decided to kind of commit to that project of parenting and decided to do that thing. And I feel like that kind of just like changed my capacity, like big time, because I was growing this person and I was working, um, getting my own therapy practice started. And because I'm self-employed, I was also saving for my own maternity leave. And it just felt like, you know, I have other things that I need to focus on and I can't, I don't have the time and space to manage dating other people, but also managing my emotional response to my partner, dating other people. It just felt really hard. And the couple that I had been dating overlapped with that. And one member of that couple was pregnant when I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So their kid is their youngest is six months older than my son. Okay. Um, which is really great for hand-me-downs. We get like great hand-me-down trains, but it definitely made that period of time just sort of like, like we're all doing a lot. And then the pandemic hit pretty soon after I had him. (laughs) And so like, I don't know, we just went through this period where it was just like, this just isn't the priority, which felt like, and I wrote about this for that piece in the cut, it just felt like a big loss of like who I was and how much community I felt like I built through non-monogamy and kind of this like, and I don't think you need to like sleep with people to have this community feeling, but there Mm -hmm. is sort of this like built in intimacy of like our lives overlapping in this really nice way. And I wonder how that could have played out had the pandemic not happened because my co-parent and I really, really locked down. Like it was pretty much just the three of us for like two years and it was brutal. You know, it was really hard. And we're both people who I feel like not to speak to him too much, but I feel like we're both people that like sexuality is a big part of our lives. And so to have that be sort of like truncated into this nuclear family was very strange. Um, And it was obviously isolating in like a million other ways, but yeah, that's kind of, yeah. That, that kind of takes us to present day more. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. Well, so just to clarify, so you were dating this couple before you had your son. And mm-hmm. then what happened with that? I guess, can you describe that relationship over the last few years too? Yeah. So these two people are people who like, I don't know. It's interesting. The way that I describe them to people is I'm like, I just feel like, we're going to be complaining about the state of the world on our rocking chairs when we're like in our (laughs) eighties. Um, they're just super solid. And I think the thing about them that I think is the most solid is that our dating and sexual relationship actually like goes in and out kind of quite a bit. Um, not to make a sex pun there, it always <laughs> happens to me. The job. I, <laughs> but I was going to let it go, but you got thank it. you. I, I mean, I have to say it because otherwise someone else will say it. And I just, you know, I'm like, I know, I know what I said. I heard it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Every time I teach a sex workshop, instead of saying, thank you so much for coming, I have to say, thank you so much for attending because right? I can't handle the pun energy in the room. <laughs> yeah. So, Anyway, I feel like the nature of our relationship is very kind of free flowing. And like, sometimes we're more 
romantically and sexually engaged with each other. And sometimes we're not, but I feel like it's just, that's not the core of the relationship. Like, I think the core of the relationship is how steady we are and how much room we give ourselves to be like in those States or not in those States. And they're very interesting because they have been non-monogamous for a very long time and they have a bunch of kids and they are very, um, community oriented. They're very involved in our local community. And so when I do date somebody new and they meet like that couple and me on paper looks a certain way. And then when they meet them, they're like, Oh, these people are like super awesome. And like really welcoming. There's like no like jealousy or possessiveness or weirdness. They're dating other people. Sometimes those people are present at the gatherings that we're at. And it's all very relaxed. Like it's not any of this like tense, like pseudo drama or even this like overblown, like stuff you see on some reality TV about non-monogamy where it's like, all we're doing is like having sex and like being wild. It's like uh, sometimes like we're just at the park with the kids. <laughs> And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm sleeping with those people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, whatever. It's like not a huge deal. Yeah. And I think when people see that, they're like, oh, this is just like regular. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's just being human. Yeah. And we all did an interview together, the three of us recently with somebody. And, you know, they were like, you know, we, we kind of have to ask like about your sex dynamic. What's the sex like? And, you know, I was like, no offense to like the people next to me here, but like, it's just a sex life, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's not like there's more people present sometimes, but it's like your run of the mill. Like we're having sex together and communicating about it. Like, it's like not this, like, well, I think so often people put like in non-monogamous relationships, they put sex up on a pedestal. Like it has to be this thing that is up there and it's, you know, maybe it is, but it's also just in a relationship of any kind. It can be part of it. It cannot be part of it. It can take its own form. It like there's, it doesn't have to be up on that pedestal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it reminds me a lot of what I hear from queer people. I mean, I'm a queer person, but like, and what I hear from other queer people is like, there is like this sort of obsession, right? Where it's like, well, how do lesbians have sex? And it's like, how do you have sex? You know, it's just like, I don't know. It's like, everyone's having sex the way they're having sex. And like, but there's this like idea that like with non-monogamy and with queerness, it's sort of like all signs point back to sex. And it's just sort of like, it's an interesting duality between how little sex education we get, the societal shame involved in sex and sexuality and pleasure existing outside of like a heteronormative context and also our fascination with it. Like we're obsessed, you know? And I think that's why it's such a fascinating topic is just like, what does it mean to have a five-year relationship where sometimes sex is part of it and sometimes it isn't? Yeah. And I was going to, that was something I was going to kind of, bring up is like it's not like you you look at that relationship and say well we were in a relationship for a year and then we were off for three months because we didn't have sex but then we were back and now (laughs) it's been two years and then there was a three-month period again and like you're just like no we were in a relationship and that relationship ebbed and flowed and it had things that were present and not present like it, it it didn't be like wow we weren't having sex during that time. So we weren't in a relationship. Like you, you've just kind of defined it as you've gone. And I think that's really, I think it's really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to think about like only recently have we been like, Oh shit, have we been doing this for like five years? Cause it hasn't felt like this co- sort of typical dyad where you're like, it's our five year anniversary, like, <laughs> right. or like counting time in the same way. And I think what is sustainable about it, is that, you know, it has outlasted many of my like dyadic relationships at this point. And I think what's sustainable about it is this sort of like, we have a lot of grace for each other to sort of be, I don't know, in different spots at different times. And the pandemic was extremely different for us. Sure. You know, so yeah. 
I was I was wondering if you'd be open to talking a little bit about the di- that dynamic specifically and you being I don't want to use like the phrasing of like you being the third, but if they're mm-hmm. sort of in a primary dyad and you you kind of flow in and out of that. I don't hate to use the phrasing again, but um, the the you're sort of in and out of that dynamic. Not that you like get cast aside. I'm the question I'm really trying to. <laughs> sorry, I, 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 Do I'm, I feel I'm, neglected? Well, I think we we get a lot of emails around unicorn hunting, and there's sort uh-huh. of this like, well, if there's a couple and a third, primarily if it's a woman, um, they must be unicorn hunters. She must be being taken advantage of, and there's mm-hmm. no way she could be an equitable part of this dynamic and have her own like say in it. And I'm curious, like, how that looks and feels for you as the quote unquote third in a couple's relationship Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's a little bit different because let me see i didn't really talk to them about me doing this podcast so i'm just trying to think about things that they've already shared (laughs) um they're very out people but still um i mean i think for me with this particular couple they see other people so i'm not the only other person they're seeing Mm-hmm. They are very involved in the queer community. So I think there's less of this feeling of sort of like this straight couple is looking to kind of like dip their toe into like usually a girl on girl sexual experience and they want to see what that's like and like blah, blah, blah. I'm of the opinion that if everybody in sort of that typical unicorn hunting dynamic is informed about what they're signing up for and they're okay with it. And they're open to like conversations about shifting Mm -hmm. or ending. If it's not working, then like, fine. You know, like, I don't think it's inherently a bad dynamic. Um, but I think with this couple, I don't, I don't feel like I'm being taken in as like this extra kind of like sex toy exploration or even worse. I think sometimes people take in other people to their dynamics because they're trying to fix something or like distract themselves from something. And that I feel like I can read from a mile away where I'm just like, Whoa, I don't want (laughs) to, I'm not your bandaid man. And I don't feel that way with them. And so like, I think like, also I feel very solidly, like I have relationships with both of them individually that feel important and meaningful and personal to me. And it isn't just like, because our relationship isn't just like I show up and I have sex with you guys and then I leave. Yeah. I feel like it's easier to kind of avoid that feeling of like, Oh, you're just whatever. If anything, they would want to see me more. (laughs) If anything, I'm the one that's like, I'm really busy or like I'm swept up in dating this new person that I'm into. And like, you know, like I'm a little more noodly than I think they would want me to be. (laughs) Sure. Well, and I think to the piece of like, I I know the other one that can come up is like, well, Hey, if you want to keep, you know, sleeping with her, you also have to sleep with me. Or if you want to keep sleeping with him, you have to keep. And so now you're like holding certain elements of the relationship hostage under like guise of like, well, if, if you want, if you want this, you've got to get all of it. There's no, there's no flexibility around like what these different dynamics can be. And it sounds like you have like a relationship with him and a relationship with her and a relationship Mm -hmm. with them. And then the three of you figure out what works and how, and I think that's really great. And so I, I appreciate you sharing that because I, I know there are a lot of people who just kind of fall in the camp of like, well, it's a triad with a woman and a couple. Clearly there's something nefarious going on here. And Mm -hmm. I think it is, it is a very tricky thing to do and a very tricky thing to do in a way where you aren't accidentally exploiting somebody or taking advantage, but I don't think it's just inherently that way. No questions asked. So I I appreciate Mm -hmm. your perspective as somebody who's in the dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my take like professionally is that, I think all dynamics have the potential to exist on a spectrum of healthy to unhealthy to functional to dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very tempting for people to look at non-monogamy, look at the dynamic itself as the root of the problem. When in reality, a monogamous dynamic could also feel exploitative and conditional and like suffocating. 
And I think non-monogamous dynamics, there's more moving pieces. There's more things to be sort of like watching in that department. But I think that like, you know, that kind of traditional unicorn setup can really depend on the people mm-hmm. in the setup, you know, like how do people feel empowered and like they have agency in that setup and that it isn't just like, this is the way it has to look. And I think because non-monogamy is often happening sort of like, I mean, in my community, it's not very behind the scenes being in a non-monogamous dynamic. is like no big whoop. But I think a lot of the time it is behind the scenes. We don't have like non-monogamous Disney stories. Like there's not this sort of example of what this could look like. So I think people tend to suffer when they don't have examples of how to navigate that relationship in a way that feels healthy because then they also can't figure out what feels unhealthy. So I think that in the non-monogamous community, like especially on social media, there's a lot of like shitting on this like unicorn dynamic as like a whole, you know, where it's just like, nope, that's always bad. Mm-hmm. And I think in reality, like, yes, that is a dynamic to pay attention to, especially if the couple is new at this and the third person is new at this, there's more opportunity to like create a dynamic that feels unhealthy. But I think like at the end of the day, any non-monogamous relationship I've ever been in or that I've ever seen has really depended on the people in that dynamic. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is also true of monogamy. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lo- along the lines of sort of like looking at the core, let's say the core relationships you have and not to discount the other, the other people in your orbit who are maybe more casual, but the, the co-parenting relationship I think is, it's super interesting on a lot of levels, but one of them is that it, it started romantic. You had a child, then you like quarantined together for for fifty <laughs> Talk years. Talk about adding stress. Yeah, and and now <laughs> you've. It sounds like you've stopped nesting together, mm-hmm. but you're still co-parenting, and you've transitioned this relationship into like a lot of different things. And like you said, like you didn't know them that long before before you got pregnant. So like at whatever level you're comfortable, like talking about how you've navigated all these different transitions and ways that this relationship has looked. And it's, I think just building that on top of like having a kid, right? Like that's a huge life changing thing that people do Mm -hmm. and it's hard by itself. And you're like, yeah, and I'm going to do it like this. And like, it's not going to look like anything that most people have ever seen. And I, I think that's amazing. And I'd love to hear more about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to talk too much about him only because he's pretty private. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because I'm not the most (laughs) private person. So that's something that I've had to like (laughs) learn. Yeah. So, but I will talk about my philosophy on co-parenting. Sure. Talk about co-parenting. Yeah. So I think like when I'm thinking about like, how am I, this kind of goes back to like your very first question, right? Like how do I identify my Mm -hmm. non-monogamy? I feel like this sounds sort of like hokey, but it is something that I feel like I've been using as my North star recently, especially in light of the pandemic is that my first and foremost relationship is my relationship to my kid. And that usually entails my relationship to myself. So like, For example, I do yoga every single night and that is not something that I'm willing to forgo Mm -hmm. because it has this ripple effect where physically I had birth injuries. So I have to do certain exercises to be able to carry him and like function and mentally, emotionally, I need to be able to like process all the stuff I heard that day or like, you know, the latest news cycle or like whatever, like I need to have that time to be with myself. And I think it's made me, I feel like having him in general has really made me very strict about boundaries with other people and boundaries with myself and how I protect my relationship with him. Because if that relationship is thrown off, which I have experienced because I had really bad postpartum depression, I did have like the pandemic hit like really early days for him, which is isolating enough as it is he's my first and only kid. So I had no idea what the hell I was doing anyway. And now I'm doing it in a pandemic. (laughs) It's like brutal, awful. It was so dark. I like, no, I don't wish that on anybody. It was so bad. So I just feel like it is very important now that we have this stability and happiness and peace that we have, I feel like is really, really precious to me. 
And that also involves co-parenting. So like, I don't believe that like, I think that our job as parents, whether we are living together and romantically involved or not, is all about how do we maintain a healthy relationship between the two of us so that our kid can thrive and feel secure, right? Like coming back to attachment. Like it's not okay for our kid to feel like animosity and tension between his parents. Like that, our job is to deal with our own shit enough that we can co-parent together in a way that we can show up healthily for him. And I think so far we've done a great job. I think it helps that our son is quite young. So he has been very adaptable and not entirely cognizant of what the rules of his life have been up until now anyway. And so the rules and structure that we have created for him now are very clear. And I think that co-parenting is like, honestly, the shit. (laughs) And I also, like, I sometimes I feel like a monster saying that to people who are still parenting together because, like, there's plenty of benefits of parenting together also. And I miss my kid when he's not here. But I also have this, like, ability now to balance my own life where, like, when I'm parenting, I am, like, really parenting my ass off and I'm very present because on the days of the week that I don't have him, I have my own life. I'm getting my work done. I'm getting the things done that I need to do. And I don't have to juggle this thing where I'm like trying to spend time with him while I'm like paying bills, answering emails and like working out, you know, like I can get all that stuff done in a compartmentalized way. Um, and I think that just makes me a better parent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can be more present. Totally. Yeah. Well, and you're also, and again, I know you don't want to like go into too much detail about the relationship with, with your co-parent, but you're not forcing parts of a relationship with that person that maybe you two aren't good at, right? Like there's a lot of different things that we have to show up for with our partners. And it's, you know, it's eating, it's sleeping, it's working, it's parenting. It's all of these things, sex, you know, you, you stack them all and you're like the chances of us being able to do all of these well, all of the time is pretty low. And it, it sounds like for you, you've said like, we're going to do this piece and we've eliminated these other pieces and we can do this one well so we can show up in the best way possible for, for the people in our lives. And in this case, it's your son. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's, I mean, it takes a lot to me, it takes a lot of work to like do something like that and go against the like grain that everybody around you is saying like, and I mean, I imagine there's, at least for us, people are constantly like, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? And if we were to be like, well, we're going to have them and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to live in separate houses and do separate this. And and like, it would break a lot of people's brains to think that like, that's a model that can work. And so Mm -hmm. it's great to hear it from like a first person experience. Yeah. And I think that like, I have been thinking recently about like, how do our experiences with non-monogamy influence co-parenting? Because I think that there are certain mindsets or um, like emotional habits that you get into that do translate, right? So like, like you're saying, like, I think when you're in a non-monogamous dynamic, oftentimes you've developed this ability to understand that like, not all relationships are going to check all boxes all the time in all the same ways. And that's also okay. And that like, I don't have to check off all of the boxes for this person. And I'm still like worthy of like love and connection. And I think when you're co-parenting, you do have there certain elements of your relationship that are very precious. Like no one's going to be in three days of hard labor with me mm-hmm. <laughs> again, yeah. you know, like, that's like a situation that is like extremely specific to us and means a lot. And that doesn't mean that that just evaporates because we're like, we're not going to be romantic anymore. And I think also like when you have a kid with someone like, I mean, our kid is highly lovable and I'm sure other adults in his life will love him a lot. And I think that's great. But I also don't think that anyone's going to love him the same way that we do. Like, yeah, that's like, we're going to share that connection forever. So I think it's important that people don't just wipe that out because other things aren't working. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that too. Thank you for, for sharing your insight on all of that. You know, as you move forward, things 
Um, do you see your relationship dynamic or interest changing? Yeah. I mean, I think like right now I have surprised myself at how, and again, I think this has a lot to do with my kid. Yeah. I feel like I am, I've surprised myself with how committed I feel to non-monogamy right now. Cause I feel like usually I'm the person that's sort of like, we could be non-monogamous. It'll probably take some work. Like I'm interested in it, but it also feels like kind of hard, <laughs> you know, like, do I want to sign up for this work or not? Can't we just be monogamous or like my own attachment gets really like I'm an anxious attacher even though now I'm getting more open to the idea that maybe I'm an avoidant attacher also, but I generally am anxious. So like, I'm just sort of like, like you're going to leave me for this person. Like, but now I feel like in this new sort of like post pandemic, post parenting phase, I feel way more secure in my own base. And I think that's because I've had to create a secure base for my kid which has also had this like great side effect of me having a secure base for myself. And I feel a lot more protective of like who comes in there and who is a part of that zone, you know? So like, I think my fences are a little bit higher, which makes me feel like non-monogamy is like where I'm at right now, because I'm just like, I'm not really willing to sort of like, I don't know meld my life with somebody in a monogamous way right now. Yeah. But I also want to have connection that means something to me. Yeah. 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 And I honestly, to be just for a bragging moment, I have such solid people in my life. Like anyone that I've dated in the last, like whatever, how couple of years, I guess, or however, whenever it felt self safe enough to date again with the pandemic, <laughs> whether or not we've continued to date, they've all just been like rock solid people. I'm just like, these people rule. Like no one has been like fucking up my life. <laughs> you know? and, and so why like, wouldn't you want more of that in your life? Right? Exactly. Yeah, and also like, why, why cut out any of these people? Yeah. You know? And I think that's like what the pandemic has made me feel is like the value of this kind of connection I feel like when I choose monogamy, I'm doing so at the expense of other connections sometimes. And that's, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. 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 How do you, and this is, this is maybe an impossible question to answer, but like, how do you foster like letting a relationship be what that relationship should be? So like, that's sort of what you kind of described is like, yeah, these people came into my life and we did some stuff and I don't want them out of my life, but maybe like we do it in a little bit different way. And I mean, you've kind of done this with the, with the co-parenting, like it's sort of letting a relationship be what that relationship is supposed to be. And I think that's a, that's a skill in and of itself, like being mm -hmm. able to do that. Yeah. The question is how to do that. How do you like, how do you do that? I guess how, uh -huh. how do you approach that, the communication around it? I mean, because that's, you might be in a totally different place than some of these other people. Like, hey, I think we should have this sort of casual thing. And they're like, oh, no, I want to see you every day. And I'm mm -hmm. super, like, really attached to you. And you're maybe at a different place with them. So there's a lot of, a lot that goes into that, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think, like, yeah, it's interesting being, like, a, um, a relationship expert who is also a human being. Yep. <laughs> right? Because sometimes I feel like I talk, I mean, I've been doing a lot of podcasts recently, especially. And so I'll talk or I'll write about like, these are all these great strategies for navigating non-monogamy. And then in my personal life, you know, I'm having like a total fucking meltdown and I'm like acting like an asshole. Um, you know, I'd like to think that I managed to go somewhere in the middle, you know, like I'm using all the guidance that I talk about as my own kind of like goals to reach toward as well. And I'm not always going to hit it yeah, because so, you're human. <laughs> because I'm a human being. And I think like, I do get in this argument with my partners often where like, if we're arguing about something and they don't like the way that I'm talking to them or they don't like what I'm doing, they'll be like, I thought you were the expert. <laughs> 
<laughs> and most of them know at this point not to say that to me. But my guideline is sort of like, yes, like I am a professional and that means I don't treat my clients like partners and I don't treat my partners like clients. That to me is professional. Like yeah. I am not going to treat you like a client. You don't want that. But that being aside, that's just to say, I don't know how everybody in my life has experienced my approach to relationship evolution. I feel like I've gotten very solid about what my personal boundaries are and what my capacity is. And so I will be very upfront and blunt about things where I'm like, Hey, I don't have the capacity for this. I'm really focused on this person right now. And like, or maybe the connection isn't right between us, but I would love to be friends or I would love to keep in touch in this way or that way. Or in the future, maybe we can think about rekindling this again. And it's really important to me that I follow through with that, that second offering. So like, if I tell somebody like, let's be friends, like I will make sure that we do something out of friend level, <laughs> you know, like I do want to do that. I don't want to just be like, let's just be friends. And then like never speak to them again. Do I hit all of that all the time? I don't know. Probably not. Right. Yeah. Um, but I feel like for the most part, the people that have been in my life that we have mutually agreed to continue, we do. And I will also always ask if I don't want to have contact for a little bit, like if it is very emotionally charged and I'm like, I need like a full stop break from you before I can like think about interacting with you again. Like we'll do that and then I'll follow up. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. I love it because I think something that we've talked about a lot and, and we, we've interviewed people too, where they like, they're like, I've read every book. I've watched, listened to every podcast. I've watched every lecture. They're like, I, I got this. I, I know polyamory inside and out. And I mean, hell for us, we've interviewed 250 plus people. So mm-hmm. you think we have a pretty good handle on it, but you get into, you get on the field and you're like, you have to take all the book work and then mm-hmm. the application of it is super hard. Is super hard. You get, you get triggered, you get dysregulated and all the shit you knew just out the window. And you're yeah. like, now, now what? Now we're like, you got all the stuff and then you're trying to like, like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's almost hard. That's sort of tying it back to like what we talked about early on. Like ignorance is bliss. Like, before I knew what I was supposed to do, it was way easier because I was just like fucking it up and didn't know. Not that that's, <laughs> not that that's better, but at least it felt better some days because you're like, well, at least I don't know I'm messing this up all day long. But yeah, I don't know. I, I can really appreciate what you're saying. Like you you might be the expert, but that doesn't mean you're perfect. Um, you're still totally. human. I'm definitely not perfect. And I think that's a thing like a therapist. I have a lot of friends that are therapists and our joke will just be like, you know, being a therapist isn't like, oh, I'm flawless at relationships. It's now you can just see all the ways that you're really not doing it well, a lot more clear. And I think like, again, going back to this idea, like this kind of false dichotomy between monogamy and Mm non-monogamy, all of these relational skills, like how to regulate yourself when you're triggered. What do you do when you're afraid that your person's going to abandon you? How do you handle a conflict? What do you do when you're flooded? All of that stuff is just relationship skills, period. Like it's not about the structure that you're in. I think that non-monogamy tends to highlight some of the threats to connection more. Like it puts it more on the front burner, but I don't think that it's like, oh, managing jealousy is like only a skill for non-monogamy people. Like it's just not like everybody manages the self-worth and the fear that is underneath jealousy. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything that you've, shared today and we wanted to make sure to give you an opportunity to plug all of your amazing work as well great i will take that opportunity (laughs) um so i just wrote a book it's called hot and unbothered how to think about talk about and have the sex you really want it is coming out august 16th you can get it anywhere you buy books you can get it on my website which is yamatellenhicks.com which is my name dot com I am active on Instagram at the underscore V spot, the like vagina. And I am going to be posting, um, virtual and in-person readings and book tour events on my social soon. But otherwise that's 
It's what I'm doing. That's awesome. amazing. And and links to all of that will be in the show notes. And is there anything that we didn't ask about, talk about, that you wanted to make sure to get out in the world today? We wanted to give you that platform before we say goodbye and let you get along with mm. your day. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think like my main piece of advice for non-monogamous people is just that like people, people over paper, <laughs> you know, <laughs> humans are going to like go around humaning and like, that is really the skills to develop, not necessarily the books and the things as yeah. someone that writes the books and the things, yeah. <laughs> right. I still think people over paper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's a place for the paper, but yes. the, the people like at the end of the day, we're all human. We need to like go back to that core piece. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Thank you again for everything. Yeah. Thank you, Yana. And thanks. Have a fantastic day. You too. And we're back. Thank you, Yana, for, first of all, for your patience with me being sick, but also for coming on and sharing everything that you did. We had a wonderful time talking and we're so grateful for the work that you do and to get this story out there. And thank you for writing a book. We know that is a huge undertaking. So please go check it out, support her work, and we thank you in advance. A couple of quick, quick community reminders. First up, our virtual meet and greet is next one is going to be on September 27th. You can sign up at our website. We'd love to have you join us for that virtual meet and greet. And the other quick reminder, you can order your Give Love shirt with our NNM Normalizing Non-Monogamy logo on it on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And that is all we have for you today. Next week, we have an awesome interview with Jace. And we are super excited about that one. We're not going to give you any spoilers on it. Nope. So it's come it's back. It's just a total mystery. You've got to come back and you'll find out for yourself. Come back and listen. So we'll see everybody one week from today. We hope you have a wonderful week and a great weekend ahead. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>